Russ is a dickhead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Baral Don't Lie. My name is Russ Steinberg. I am delighted, thrilled, ecstatic even, to report that even though last week I was dealing with, as it turned out to be, uh, COVID and was not a person for a while, I am now healthy. I have tested negative again. I am 100%. I am ready to go. All is well. All is great in the world. Meredith Cash, how are you? You made me laugh, and now I have to blow my fucking nose. Hang on. <laughs> Excuse me for that. Uh, I have a cold, and <laughs> it stinks. We, were, we just spent like 10 minutes before we started recording bitching about how the common cold deserves more respect and how in the age of COVID, it's just an awkward reality where it's like, man, I should be doing these things. Are you comfortable with me coming? Now I'm a social pariah because I'm sniffling. So anyway, listener, bear with me as I sound like kind of Kermity, little froggy, and I will I will be sniffling. So, but that's mostly because of my Russ allergy. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> to, to recap uh, the listener, everything you said about the cold, and I just feel like it doesn't, get the respect it deserves in the illness uh, in in the illness discourse because if I tell work you know I have food poisoning I'm throwing up everywhere like there's no expectation on me to work and I get that you can still function if you have a cold but like it, the symptoms suck like no one likes coughing and sneezing everywhere it's the fatigue is bad. Like you're tired. You don't have the energy to do anything. Like I, I feel like there's not that same, Oh, just take the day off. If you have a cold. And I think there should be, we need to bring colds back in this, in this age of of COVID. We need to bring colds back. I think colds like deserve a solid five seed, you know, yeah. in the viral ecosphere. Yeah. I'm riding that rhino virus, baby. All the way to the final four. <laughs> Right. It's a sleeper pick, really. It's a sleeper pick. Yeah. All right. Lots going on in the world of college basketball. I don't think there is any place more appropriate to start than Carver Hawkeye. The Iowa Hawkeyes taking down number two Indiana on Sunday afternoon on a wild buzzer beating three. You'll never guess who hit it. You will never guess who hit it. Uh, Caitlin Clark knocking it down to give I, Iowa the win and IU the loss. I should say I watched most of that game. There were like four different times where I was like, okay, Iowa's got this. And then Indiana just kept coming at them. Um, damn, they're both. Those are two really good fucking teams. Once you got to the that last possession, though, it was something like 1.8 on the clock. Was there any doubt Caitlin Clark was knocking that down? Like As, as long as she got the ball... There was no way she was missing a shot. That was the, I think that was the big question. And they said, I was watching the post-game press conference earlier today. uh, And I believe it was Caitlin Clark who said that she, the play wasn't drawn up for her. They were looking for the like backdoor pass to get the 
uh, lay up and tie the game. And they were banking on the fact that they could pull it out in overtime because they had home court advantage. And, you know, to your point, they were trending up throughout the game and Indiana was just like climbing right back into it, but it felt like Iowa was setting the pace. Um, but then Monica Susano like set that three or that screen and like fucking bodied the defender from like to the floor. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think the question of whether or not Caitlin would knock it down—that's a no-brainer. Um, and she was she was not her feet were not set. That was no, the it other was a, it was an off-balance three. Yeah, um, but still, I think everyone like knew. Yeah, the, that it, it didn't matter. It was it was a foregone conclusion, but it it's funny. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, it was funny to to hear her be like, "No, the play wasn't drawn up for me," and it's like, okay. Um, the of course the immediate aftermath of the Clark shot was a bunch of crazy Twitter reactions, and my reaction was not so fast. That does not make her the front runner for National Player of the Year. At about the exact same time, I tweeted that um, our friend Alexa tweeted that should make Caitlin Clark the front runner for National <laughs> Player of the Year. So now we have a a bit of a debate here. And I, I think, think you were coming from the same point of like, oh, people are going to think that this means she's player of the year now. Like you both were along that wavelength, which is valid. Whether or not you agree with it is a different conversation. Yeah, I, I think I'm at the point now where even if she doesn't get my vote, like I'm not going to throw a hissy fit if she wins it. Um, I, I think the the shot that she hit on Sunday is a data point. Obviously it's an important one. It won the game uh, for Iowa, but I mean, the way I think about it is if that shot had rimmed out, if she had missed, do you think any less of her as a player or do you think any less of her season or do you think of it any differently? And if the answer is yes, because this is, you know, the hashtag clutch moment, uh, then fine. You use that in your argument, but, she had the exact same case to be player of the year, you know, on Saturday as she did as she does today, in my opinion. I think that's not so different. And bear with me as I like talk through this analogy. But I think last episode we were talking about how um, the difference between a like uh, an undefeated team and a one loss team feels so big, and it could just be like, oh or I think we were actually talking about it in terms of like Stanford losing a or having a near loss and they've since right. lost, but um, I don't Lots. know who, who was it who, t- who took them to overtime and then they won out. Uh, was that Colorado. USC? Oh, Colorado. Colorado. Yeah. USC beat them. Um, well, but USC played them tough a second time too. Uh, Stanford won by three. I think this was Colorado who they, who they beat. Yes. It was double overtime. There you go. Uh, A game where nobody scored. Right. (laughs) It was such a bad game. Well, hold on. That, that's, we'll we'll get to other bad games. Yes. I was going (laughs) to say that's Duke UNC. Um, but no, I think, I think the thought experiment of like, the narrow margins between, oh, this changes a whole season based off of two points or three points or like a one point loss 
LSU, for example, dropping so much for one loss, and I get it. I'm not advocating otherwise. Did you hear that? Yeah, what's going on in your dwelling? A ghost. Hang on. Okay. This is a chaotic episode. It really is. Should I just leave in all these silences? I'm asking this while you've already walked away. What's some weird shit I could say while Meredith is gone? I don't even know. I don't like her very much. No, that's 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 not true. That's not true. She's my friend. She's my friend. That's not. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we, we were late because Meredith was late because she was late to get her shit together because she had to go to a colonoscopy. And <laughs> <laughs> I just timed that so that the first thing she heard when she put her headphones back on was colonoscopy. I, I was, figured. I that, figured that you didn't tell a story and you were just that's, saying. <laughs> that's not why we started late. I'm Okay. So, what what was it? Was it a ghost? It was my wall calendar falling off because of uh, uh, wind. Why is there wind in your apartment? I keep my windows open. Oh, okay. Did you not hear the story of how my radiator nearly exploded and now I have to keep it on full blast at all times? No. Yeah, so I had like a water fountain into my apartment and I had to keep replacing this like giant salad bowl every 30 minutes because my apartment was leaking. Um, and then my super, to his credit, got uh, like New York Heat to come to check it out day of, which was great. And the guy came and like put his hands on his belt and was like, oh, you can't turn it off. Just keep it on always, full blast. Don't touch it. And I was like, what if it gets hot? And he was like, open the windows. And I was like, they're already open. And he was like, more. And I was like, <laughs> I was like that seems unsustainable. Thanks so much, buddy. Um, and so I've been living like this in figurative hell ever since. It doesn't seem like you should have to live like that. I told my super that, and he said the same thing. He was like, that doesn't seem right. And I said, well, buddy, you would know better than me. So isn't it like his job to help you figure that out? New York City know. living, folks. I know. We pay to live on this trash heap. I know. Did I ever tell you about the waterfall that was coming through my light fixture? Oh, my God. No. Yeah, that flooded my entire apartment. It was just... That's the, horrible. The, I mean, this was like a years long saga of this oh that just culminated God. in that. <laughs> um, and the the best part, and then we can move on and talk about basketball, is when this was happening and I was just sitting there looking at it being like, I'm, I'm fucked. Like, this is just, this is bad. And then I ran out of my apartment, ran downstairs and had one of the maintenance people come up with the water vacuum. And we both come up to my apartment together. He opens the door. I can't go in because there's just water everywhere. And it's just cascading down out of my light fixture. Uh, so he goes in. The door closes behind him. And all I hear for about 10 minutes is him going, fuck, shit, this motherfucking, what the goddamn fucking son of a bitch. <laughs> and I'm sitting there outside having no idea what he's doing in there. Um, 
wrestling a tiger. No, said, seriously, it could have been. Yeah. Who is, anyway. Who's to say? It could have been. Um, anyway. Yeah, I think my only point was to say that you you I'm not sure I have a take one way or the other. I'm sure I would if I thought more deeply about it and I'll get back to you next episode. But I think you have to be consistent about whether, you know, if a team almost takes a bad loss versus taking a bad loss or a player almost makes the game winning shot versus making the game winning shot. Like I kind of think you have to carry the logic through either way. And I'm sort of of the opinion that I, or I, I guess I view the college basketball universe as like thinking that a bad loss for a team matters a lot versus a narrow loss, not mattering so much. And the same thing holds for like Caitlin Clark made this shot. It was a big fucking deal. If she missed it, it wouldn't be that big a deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It matters if it happens. Yeah. I mean, my, my thinking on this has kind of evolved over the last few years to basically caring more about the actual result than what almost happened or could have happened. People have too short attention spans to actually keep track of what almost happened yeah. or could have happened, I think. But honestly, that does it does seem to kind of go against the point I was making about Clark, where whether that goes in or not, it, it doesn't matter. She's great. Um, I think it's, I think to your point, it, it is a data point, right? She's had a million incredible plays. It's, it's just, it's about whether you view this as a narrative or as a, uh, statistical argument. And I think both can be true, but narrative, narrative wins you awards like these, I would say. Oh, for sure. It's definitely a vibes-based award. Which, like, you know, we're biased, we're writers, but sports is storytelling, like... Sports is vibes. That's yeah. all it is. Or sports well, commentary. Well, analytics I mean. assholes are about to saunter into our... Do we even have comments? I don't know. They're about her, to... Her hoop us. stats is pissed. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, like, yeah, we... Shout out her hoop stats, because I... No, I, I love them. I yeah. do too. Uh, Fuck I, you guys, I, nerds. But speaking of vibes, I decided that's how I'm filling out my bracket this year. Just no analysis, no numbers, no thoughts, just, just vibes. vibes, just vibes. I can't. I, too many years, I've wasted too much time trying to parse resumes and talk yeah. myself into this upset pick versus that one, and. Fuck it. If, if I if I feel like you're going to lose your first round game, sorry, tough shit, you're losing. Yeah. And that's how it goes on my bracket. Well, I do think that's another thing worth noting. Sports in general are vibes based. Mm-hmm. College basketball is It's the vibesiest. It's totally about gutsy dog in them. Yeah, totally. So Caleb Clark's got that dog in her. For sure. Yeah. I, you know how many tweets I saw that were like, oh God. she is, she is her. I did it. I did like, Kaylee Clark is that I'm so girl. tired of that. I'm so <laughs> no. tired of that. Let's get a new, to me at myself, let's get a new expression maybe. Yeah, find, find a new expression. This, yeah. We got it. All right. Do, wait, I do want to say, talk about vibes. Did you watch the 
post-game presser with, or not the presser, but the on-court interview with Holly? I had it on and I had the TV muted because I was uh, listening to something else. So I did not hear what was said. So Holly said at one point, you know, 1.8, 1.5 seconds left, whatever it was, ball is in your hands, ball like leaves your fingertips. What are you feeling? And she said, honestly, uh, I, I thought it was money. And it's like. Yeah, every single person in the world thought it was money. No, but to say it, it's just yeah. like, I mean, she's Caitlin fucking Clark. Of course she's going to say it, but it's like, make the t-shirts, God, right. like I'm, march out the troops. Like we're all, we're, this is, this is what it's about. Talk about fucking good vibes. That's yeah. all. I, I will say the vibes around this Iowa team, and maybe this is extreme recency bias, feel better than they were a year ago. I was just going to say, I think the evolution of the two-woman show. Because into... it's not really two women anymore. Right. I'm saying from last year. Right. Oh, okay. To, I, I was, and I don't even know, at times it wasn't even a two-woman show last year, I would say. Um, but into a much more complete team this year, and I think talk about the narrative component of this like capped by beating a one loss Indiana team that is leading the Big Ten like I don't think you can prove that point any better on senior night you know the whole thing so the the narrative the story is there the vibes are good and I feel a whole lot more confident now than I did two months ago slash a year ago in this Hawkeyes team heading mm-hmm. into postseason play. I'm still probably not putting them in my final four, but I'm not, I'm probably also not going to pick them to get upset in the second round. Are they one of the 10 teams that you're considering for a one seed? <laughs> okay. It's not 10. It is eight. Okay. Excuse me. Um, and no, they are not, but, the fact that a team like Iowa, which is on that periphery, along with, say, like Notre Dame and Duke, who aren't one seed candidates, but can absolutely be a one beat a one seed and go to the final four. Like that says so much about the depth of women's college basketball right now that I don't think anyone would really bat an eye if any of those teams uh, were playing in Dallas. And we can talk about the one seeds, but I don't want to do that right now because it's going to take us away from answering our uh, listener question. Finally. Which we, which we teased last time and then just forgot about. Yep. And it is related to players of the year. So why don't you why don't you tee this up? Well, we're talking about defensive player of the year and what metrics or what criteria should go into giving out the award besides uh, blocks and steals and potentially defensive rebounds, I guess. Um, and I think it kind of, my opinion and Russ, you can hop in whenever. I I think it sort of bounces off what we just said in terms of like college basketball is a vibes game. I think defensive player of the year is sort of like, okay, 
Bree Beal's going to lock up whoever the best player is on the opposing team. Like maybe it doesn't, I mean, I, I imagine it, I don't have her stats off the top of my head, but I imagine she has a decent like steals per game statistic, whatever. But um, I also know from watching some games that things pop up where it's like the, whatever player she's defending shoots like, 12% or something right. ridiculous, but you don't have that statistic for every player. And I think there is a certain level of eye test where it's like, man, like she puts the clamps on whoever it is. And clearly I, uh, I think Brie Beal should be in the conversation because I used her as uh that's no surprise to anyone, but I also right. used her as the example. She is sixth on her team in steals per game. So wow. That means nothing, but did finish, finish your thought. I mean that my thought is that I guess it sort of proves my point is that it's sometimes the the box score isn't going to tell the whole story because I think she's the best perimeter defender on that team. Yeah, it, it it's hard because blocks and steals are the only two mainstream statistics that measure defense. I guess defensive rebounds as well. But that's right. not even really defense. I don't know. Not really defense. And sort of. You know, think about watching a college basketball game. Think, speaking to the listener, think about watching a game between two teams you don't care about. So you, let's. You probably know maybe a couple of players on each team. You don't really know everybody's name. How closely are you paying attention to who the best defender is on the court? The coaches are. The scouts are. The players certainly know. Uh, but the viewer can have a hard time seeing that. And putting it, it's a lot easier to look at a post player and see, okay, they're blocking every shot. Or the shots that they're not blocking, they're altering. Or guards are not even trying to get into the lane because this post player is there. And so they're changing their opponent's offensive strategy. That is so easy to see. And unless you're a guard who is uh, picking up a bunch of steals and like getting out on the break, it's a little harder to see you locking down the best player on the other team, especially because if you're locking them down, they're not getting the ball and you're watching the game. You're paying attention to where the ball is. And so if you know, you know, the other team's best player who averages 27 points per game and her name is Caitlin Clark, and you haven't heard her name called all quarter, and she hasn't touched the ball in four possessions, then you notice. You notice that. But in most cases, it's probably just not something that most people pay attention to, and it's why it's harder for a lot of people to really have intelligent debate about this. Like we know Brie Beal is an excellent defender, but what statistic do you point to that shows that in the realm of mainstream statistics that everybody understands? I don't think it's entirely unlike the conversation we've had about Aliyah Boston for player of the year in terms of like, 
improving the entire team and making her teammates better, but not really having the statistics to show for it, Um, which, by the way, Aaliyah Boston sort of does. But I mean, her statistics are very good. They're just there are other players with better numbers. Right. Um, Yeah. So I think I think it's a similar thing, right? Like Aaliyah Boston looks like the premier defender on that team. And by the way, she is a premier defender, but it's because of it's partly due to her position and not, you know, not entirely because she is the sole defensive force on that. It's not her getting down in a stance and sliding her feet and, you know, trapping the ball in the backcourt. Like that's well, which is fine. Like she, she plays her role exceptionally. And uh, again, she is my vote as of right now for national player of the year that can change, but I'm still holding strong on Aaliyah Boston best player on the best team, most important player in my opinion. And the numbers, even though they're players with better numbers, they're still pretty damn good. Now, here is a follow-up question if we're ready to move on from the Defensive Player of the Year conversation, which I think we did a decent job on. Yeah, be Um, happy, listeners. Yeah. We answered your one question. We answered it. It only took us two weeks and two attempts, but here we are. And 30 minutes recording this because we had to pause for dumb reasons. Yep. Ghosts. Um, my follow-up is, is there a team right now who you see beating South Carolina? And do you feel that there is more or less of a gap now than there was starting the season? I feel like there is less of a gap than there was, or than I thought there was starting the season. And we've seen that South Carolina has played several close games. I think there is a recipe to beating them. Now, executing that is a different story, and you could execute that perfectly and still get your ass beat. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you ask me how you beat South Carolina, I think I know that now. Because there are weaknesses there. They're not a great shooting team. And so if you let Aaliyah Boston do what Aaliyah Boston is going to do and shut down, say, Zaya Cook and that backcourt and make them take low percentage shots, I think you have a chance. And I know we were just talking about them. I think Indiana is a team that could give them problems if they meet in a national championship game, which it's looking right now like... South Carolina is the number one overall seed and Indiana is the number two overall seed. So could very well happen, but I still hot take. I still think South Carolina is going to win the national championship. You heard it here first. Yeah. No one else is saying this. No one else has the guts to say South Carolina is going to win the national championship. I think Maybe South Carolina looks more vulnerable to me than they did at the start of the season, but everyone else looks a lot shakier to me mm-hmm. than I thought. Like That's I, fair. I thought South Carolina was a solid number one with a relatively close Stanford number two. And I think that I felt validated in that opinion when 
Stanford, South Carolina went to overtime mm-hmm. early in the season. Um, but since then, Stanford has looked real shaky. Um, Indiana is an incredible team. I think that, to your point, that is the best bet. Um, but it's not a bet I'm taking. <laughs> right. I mean, again, it's a vibes yeah. game, right? My vibe is that, or the vibe I am getting, is that, my opinion, Indiana is closer to South Carolina than at the beginning of the season I thought Stanford was to South Carolina. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I don't agree with that, but okay. I think that was me being super bullish on on Stanford. Yeah, you're higher on them than I was. Yeah. Um, and look who was right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say something. Oh, yeah. Um, it's because Russell uh, Russell Wilson's gone. Right, that's it. That uh, was their I, whole success. That's what Holly told us. Of, of course. Yeah. I, so. I realize we're pointing out, you know, South Carolina's looked a little shaky lately. They've won a couple of close games. Um, you know, maybe, my opinion, Indiana's closer to South Carolina than maybe you think. But let's also remember... We were having this exact same conversation last year because South Carolina was going through a string of games that were close. And then remember they lost the SEC championship game to Kentucky. And they also lost to Missouri. That that's again to the true, narrow margins true. where it's like um, when it does happen right. versus when it could. Right. Um, and, I, and we were having the same conversation about what happens if they can't score. And even in, not including that first round game when they beat whoever by a million, but if I recall correctly, even in like their second round game, you kind of still saw things that left a lingering doubt and they just got stronger as that tournament went on. And by the time we got to the final four, I mean, Louisville was a really good team and I never felt like once that game started, Louisville had a shot. Mm Mm-mm. And uh, extenuating circumstances with UConn, of course, but uh, that the final score, I think South Carolina ended up winning by 12. It felt like a lot more than that. Um, UConn made their one run, got it to within six in the second half, but even then, you didn't feel like they were going to win the game. Right. Um, So, you know, just because they might show some weakness doesn't by any means mean they're not just going to run through the NCAA tournament again. They totally could. I mean, it's easy for me to say this given that they're undefeated through the regular season, but I feel more confident in South Carolina this year than I did this time last year. And I think that's extra telling given my stance on like teams with young slash new point guards. Like I never think that goes well. Um, but I am very much proven wrong by this backcourt and, um, I don't know. I think the only thing that is giving me pause about them is just like bad vibes about trying to repeat as national Mm -hmm. champions. Like that's so fucking hard to do. Tell me if these two statements contradict each other, because I think I believe both of them. They do, idiot. Okay. 
I would give South Carolina better odds to win the national championship this year than I would have last year at this time. Yeah. I think there are more teams that can beat South Carolina this year than there were last year. I think, I don't think that contradicts, I don't think that contradicts, you're not contradicting yourself. Okay. I I think both of those things are true. Just because you can doesn't mean you will. Right. Uh, can, can we move on from this? Because we talk about South Carolina every damn time. Sure. I mean, they deserve it, but... Yeah. All right, let's move on. Well, you, the, there's a really good team that had a really big development this weekend. And not a good one. Notre Dame in their win over Louisville on Sunday. In the first half, Olivia Miles went down with an apparent knee injury. Thankfully, was able to leave the court under her own power, although she w- didn't look great doing it. Uh, that was at least a good sign. You know if what? Let's you... not objectify women's athletes. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You know what? Uh, important context here, other than the fact that Olivia Miles is awesome, averaging. She looked heinous. No, Shut no. up. 14.7 points, 7.4 rebounds, seven assists, two, ass- two steals per game. This is also on the heels of Notre Dame losing Dara Mabry to a season-ending injury. Between them, that's 23.6 points per game they lost. 10 rebounds, almost 10 assists, 3 steals. That is a lot of firepower that Notre Dame suddenly doesn't have. And, of course, we don't know the extent of Miles' injury. Hopefully it's nothing serious. But if she is out, and I say for an extended period of time and the regular season for all intents and purposes is over. Uh, that this could be an issue. I mean, she has she has a month to get back before the season ends, like the the full season. So any any period of time is going to be a problem at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, unless you just want to like punt the ACC tournament for like I don't right. care about that. Maybe it but drops the seed line, they- whatever. They just clinched a, a one seed in the ACC tournament. I was actually just talking to to Mitch um, because he wrote an article, and I'll get to this mm-hmm. later, about uh, Duke UNC. And this is Mitch Northam, by the way. And we were saying how the ACC tournament is just going to be absolute bedlam because especially if Miles isn't playing, number one Notre Dame could lose in its first game. Like, it Anyone could take that one. And I think that we'll probably get into the conference tournament conversation where there are so many teams or there are several conferences where like we probably don't have an answer on who's going to win right now. A confident one at least. And and we're going to get into this more in in a minute, but I do have one like conference tournament seating implication thing to say. And that is Virginia Tech is one of the teams that could conceivably be a one seed but it might take a win over Notre Dame in the ACC tournament to do it. And now that may be, may, maybe that just isn't in the cards now. And maybe, maybe Olivia Miles injury could eliminate Virginia Tech from the one seed conversation. I was just going to say, did, was that the master plan all along? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Um, the, the thing with Miles' injury, and I, I read her her stats, and if you recall last year, she was the first freshman in women's or men's basketball to ever post a triple-double in the NCAA tournament. 
Yep. Uh, she does so many different things well that it's not even like with most injuries where you could say, all right, this person got hurt. This person who plays the same position needs to step up and do more. Like it's going to take more from just about everybody. Sonia Citron now suddenly needs to do more. Uh, Maddie Westfeld, Lauren Ebo, uh, KK Bransford, the freshman, uh, career high seven made field goals in that game against Louisville. She's come on strong. She's going to have to, like, it's going to have to be everybody. I think stats tell part of the story in the sense that she is just covering all bases. Yeah. Um, plus she brings the ball up, you know, she's a distributor. Like she, she is a glue piece like there. Yeah. But she's important. She's, I mean, we, she was someone who we, we're kicking ourselves for not talking about in the player of the year conversation a few episodes mm-hmm. back and there's good reason for it. So I'm just hoping it's not what it looked like. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the, the one seed discussion, there was an off the court, happening that I do think is relatively significant this week. And that is uh, in Miami. Uh, The NCAA hit Miami and head coach Kate Meyer with a few level two violations. If you remember, Meyer uh, served a, I believe, a university-imposed suspension at the beginning of the year, three games relating to this. This is the first real um, punishment or first real finding from the NCAA as far as rules violations go in the NIL world. And this stems from uh, Hannah Cavender and Haley Cavender getting dinner with LifeWallet CEO John Ruiz (laughs) uh, before they transferred to Miami and allegedly Meyer facilitating that relationship in some way. And I think the headline here is the penalties for Miami was like a a fine probation, stuff like that. Nothing against the Cavenders themselves. The NCAA has said they want to avoid punishing the athletes in situations like this as much as possible. Uh, They certainly did that there, which is good. Uh, It, I think, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way that the first punishment related to NIL comes uh, at the expense of a women's basketball team. Uh, So I was wondering if you had any opinions on that. Uh, It kind of makes sense to me that they would choose this particular team because the Cavenders are very high profile and yet Miami NCAA tournament team, but they're not, you know, a top four seed here. They're not a team we're talking about as an elite eight final four team. Um, It's not going to move the needle too much nationally, even if it will bring some attention to them. So it, in that respect, it made sense that this was the first one to come down. I get it that it's a little 
weird that it comes in women's basketball. When remember, John Ruiz is also the one who straight up offered to pay Nigel Pack uh, on the men's side to transfer from Kansas State to Miami. Uh, and I don't think we've heard anything about that. So that's 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 my spiel. I definitely see both sides of it. I think both my, sides, both sides. Yeah, for sure. Got to hear both sides. That's all I had to say. Okay. No, I think, I think part of me feels that if you want to treat women's sports like sports, which is the basis of this podcast is, you know, let's not treat women's sports with kid gloves if there's a violation and it's a high profile one, like the Cavenders are about as high profile as it comes in college sports, they are high profile, not for their play on the court, I think is fair to say. Um, Not to say that their play isn't good, but uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think when you talk about the NIL space, everyone, you know, when the naysayers, when we were first talking about NIL becoming a reality, Everyone was like, oh, what's going to happen to women's sports? It's not fair for women's sports. And then lo and behold, some of the top earners in NIL are women's athletes. And so, but if you're, if you're going to, if we're going to ring the bell and say, ah, ha, ha, women proved you wrong. Look at all the money that these gymnasts and women's basketball players and volleyball players and whoever else are making off of NIL then you also got to dock them when they, when they're violating uh, NIL rules. And this isn't even a punishment against Hannah and Haley Cavender. It's, it's against the institution that they chose and the the way that they went about handling this. Um, And so, yeah, I think they were making an example out of them because they know that they have a broad reach and it's, you know, if we slap them on the wrist, then, the rest of the world takes notice. Um, but if it's warranted, it's warranted. No, but uh, your point is, is correct. The thing is, I'm not sure anybody is upset that they got hit with, um, you know, level two violations. I think it's more that they were the first. Um, but it's also, I can't even, I can't be brought to care enough uh, about that. <laughs> Yeah. about those sort of implications when there's no one denying that this alleged inappropriate contact happened, then just move move on. I, I really don't care. But thought it was important to bring it up. Uh, we are now 52 minutes into this, although we're going to have to cut like 20 minutes. So, sorry, I'm going to have to cut about 20 minutes. Yeah, you are. Yep. Um, I want, I did want to run through the one seeds real quick because we are now basically at conference tournament time and there are, my opinion, two teams that are locks for one seeds, no matter what happens in conference tournaments. And then out of the two spots that are left, I think six teams can conceivably get there and, you don't even get that in men's basketball, really. This close to uh, the this close to the selection show, and so that's really exciting to me. Um, the, Parity 
this parody that it's not no parody, it rocks but it it does rock uh, parody parody among the the haves which yep. is fun i i don't think there's any question that even if they lose their first conference tournament game both south carolina and Indi- and indiana are one seeds is there any doubt i don't think so okay that's easy my opinion um the two teams right now projected on the one line after them are utah and stanford now i'm using uh charlie cream's bracketology here and that was i think before utah beat stanford yesterday um yes it was so that may have changed but i don't think so uh utah obviously Still a one seed, and that's further solidified by their win over Stanford. I'm not sure they would fall off of the one line at this point. Maybe one win in the Pac-12 tournament almost definitely seals it. And I say that because they have no bad losses and a bunch of good, good wins. Beating Stanford, beating UCLA, beating Arizona, beating Oklahoma. And a question for you, Meredith Cash. If, Here I am. If Alyssa Peely didn't have to play all her games on Pac-12 Network, which no one on Earth can see, would she be in the National Player of the Year conversation? Yeah, probably. I think we've got a Maddie Segrist situation on our hands. Not quite, but close. I, when you were reading the, the one seeds as they currently stand, mm-hmm. um, my gut instinct was whoever, those those last two seeds are rocky. I agree with you. The first two are locks. I think whoever wins the Pac-12, assuming it's one of the two of them, gets to stay the other one. Agree. That's true. Probably. Probably replace them with a Big Ten team. At least one of those teams is going to lose another game, right? The the thing Stanford has going for it is it has it just the sheer number of great wins that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, beat Tennessee and Creighton out of conference, and we know now how the committee views the Big East. Wins over in conference Arizona, UCLA, Utah, Colorado, some of those twice. Um, maybe it gets dicey if they lose their first Pac-12 tournament game, but I think they're also in good shape. And maybe, yeah, maybe it comes down to that Pac-12 title game. One of them gets it, one of them doesn't. Real quick, the other teams that I think could still make a play at it, Mm. um, I think if LSU beats South Carolina in the SEC tournament, they get there. But they would have to beat Ella, uh, They would have to beat South Carolina to do it. Um, Maryland, I think, is suddenly a really good candidate. Uh, they're just racking up wins against ranked teams. The thing that hurts them is that you have to look at the entire season and not just what they're doing now. And they have two bad losses in DePaul and Nebraska. Uh, Virginia Tech, we talked about. Eight straight wins, four of them overranked teams. Maybe if they win the ACC tournament, they can get in there. I don't think UConn is out of it. Um, they would need, obviously, to win the Big East tournament, um, beating 
probably both Marquette and Creighton or Villanova along the way, and they would need AZ Fudd in the Big East tournament to show that she's healthy. Um, but I would also say that if we're talking about who can get that fourth one seed, I don't think a lot of teams are going to want it, to be honest. Uh, because if you're that fourth one seed, you're on the same side of the bracket as South Carolina. And you want South Carolina to have to play as many good teams as possible before they play you in the national championship game. And so if I'm UConn or Virginia Tech, give me the top or the second two seed instead. Um, that would mean for both of those teams, if they were the top two seed, then they would be placed in Indiana's region, which also sucks. But Indiana's at least lost twice. They've at least shown they can be beaten. I mean, I'd take my chances there uh, before facing South Carolina before the national championship game. Uh, and also, if you are a two seed as a number five overall or number six overall, there's a very, very small chance you end up in South Carolina's region. Uh, it's almost like it's almost definitely not going to happen. So something something to keep in mind there. I don't think you're going to see a lot of teams clamoring for that last one seed unless, you know, maybe a Utah does really want it because that would be huge for their program. And it's not like they came into the season thinking, let's, how are we going to win the national championship? It's if we get to the final four, that's pretty fucking awesome. And we take our chances from there. Maybe, maybe they want it, but I don't think, I think Stanford would rather be a two than the last one. I think UConn would rather be a two than the last one. Um, and I would say the same about LSU and Maryland. The only possibility is if it's an ACC team that's coming back out of nowhere. It's not going to be Notre Dame, but if it's Virginia Tech, I guess it's possible that they think along the lines of Utah. Mm -hmm. But even then, Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I I think it's interesting to think of it from the team's perspective, because I was thinking of it more along the lines of like what the committee values. And I think that's worth a discussion in terms of like the committee doesn't care what the teams want. Obviously the committee is trying to do this as, as removed from bias as possible. Um, and I think, I think when you brought up, the recency bias around Maryland, it reminded me about how we were talking about how the committee considers what team you have right now and what you are right now. And obviously you have to consider the totality of the resume, but there is recency bias. It's just going to happen. Well, when, when I say considers what you are right now, I mean, in terms of personnel, they don't look at how you're playing lately uh, if you have the same personnel as you have had all year. No, but what if your personnel has grown and changed? Like what if you, I mean, I, I think of like a Caroline Ducharme who necessarily had to become a new player and it's like mm -hmm. you lost someone, but you gained someone else in that process. Um, and the committee does say they don't, you know, they used to view last 10 games as, a criteria that's not the case anymore but 
I mean, let, let's be honest there. Even if the eye test isn't an official criteria, you know, these people don't live in a bunker just looking at data. Like they watch games. They know who's good and who isn't right now. And that it has to co- come into play, at least subconsciously, a little bit. I also think what's about to go down in the conference tournaments is specifically in the ACC and the Big Ten. And I guess the Pac-12 too, except for you have two Pac-12 teams already on the one line right now. I think if you're if you're not Indiana and you wind up winning the the Big Ten, you're in. I think you have to be. I don't know. I think Maryland can get there. I don't know if anyone else can. You don't think Iowa? I'm going to pull up Iowa's. I looked at Iowa's resume earlier and decided myself no. But looking again, let's see. You know, the loss to K State hurts. Yeah. Six total losses. Went over Iowa State's very good. Michigan, Ohio State, Maryland. Yeah, you know what? I, I would put them in there because that would also be two wins over Indiana. And probably another win over a good team in the semifinal. I I'd say they would. You would have to talk about them too. And it's good for the ratings. Definitely not a criteria, <laughs> but definitely uh, something that we could uh, joke about. Russ is smiling and winking. It's weird. Uh, no, no, I'm not doing that's that. So that's so <laughs> weird that you're doing that right now. Yeah. That's so weird. All right. Do we have anything else to say? Um, not Duke about UNC this. was an uggo fest. That's yeah, all we really fuck? have to say about that. It's I told you how Duke plays. I wish they won. My Did eyes I... would have bled. I I didn't watch because I half have of my friends decided right half of my friends decided to get engaged this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram. It's crazy. I'm baby. I don't understand, but. Yeah. Um, when I went to watch the replay and I saw that Duke had a seven point lead in the fourth quarter, seven points is a lot for a game that only got to like 45. Yeah. That's like 20 points. And then they didn't score for six fucking minutes. (laughs) I wanted to, to pull my eyelids over and then staple them to my cheeks. So I never would have to see something like that again. Um, I wish you could all see Meredith just hit her cheeks when she said that. I was so upset. (laughs) I am so upset. Um, And as Mitch pointed out as we were DMing, we'll probably see Duke UNC in the quarterfinal of the ACC tournament. So we we all can circle our calendars for that Friday night and not watch that game because it's awful. Yep. Just let me know what happens. Yep. Um. I think it's time I gave the uh, NCAA tournament version of the NYU basketball update. The Violets finished the regular season last Saturday with a win over Brandeis. Today was the men's and women's selection shows. Both the NYU men and women are going to the NCAA tournament. The women, now remember, few podcasts back, I explained this. They can't host because a pipe burst in their gym, and so they have no home court. 
So in their pod, they would be considered the best team, but they're being sent to Messiah, uh, who is hosting this pod. NYU will play Greensboro College in the first round. Messiah playing Bridgewater State in the other end of that. I would expect an NYU-Messiah matchup in round two. Um, Messiah's pretty good. Can I can I just say yeah. I legit thought you were saying Messiah like as in Bumblefuck because I've never heard of that in my life. Like they sent him to Messiah, like oh. they sent him off to the middle of nowhere. Oh, that is in Bumblefuck, I think. I, I've never heard of that in my life. Go on to college. Yeah. Um, well, so if you want to look at the bracket and what NYU's route to the Final Four could be, it obviously starts there. The team they would be. Likely to face in the Sweet 16 would be Loris out of Iowa. Uh, they don't scare me one bit, and it's possible that Wash U could knock them off um, in, in the second round. Wash U, a team NYU split with in the regular season and gave them a lot of problems in both games. So that's interesting. The They don't seed the tournament like this, but you would call them the number one seed in their region would be Transylvania at 27-0. and 0. Uh, hopefully someone knocks them off beforehand. I don't really know how good they are because they don't play anybody good, uh, but that kind of scares me. Um, and yeah, that's how it is. The first round will be Friday evening. A second round will be on Saturday. And so next time we record, we'll either be talking about the Violets in the Sweet 16 for the second year in a row, or uh, I'll be really sad. Stay tuned, folks. Yeah. All right. Tell people where they can follow you on the internet. Oh, also, wait, wait. Uh, the NYU men, shout out to them for making it. They're playing Lancaster Bible in the first round. I think they should win that game. And they were sent to Mount Union, uh, who is one of the best teams in the country in their pod. So um, probably not going to win more than a game in the tournament, but Good for them just for making it because they were picked dead last in their conference. And look at that. They're in the tournament. So good for them. Anyway, where can people find you on the internet? I'm at MerCash22 on Twitter. I'm at Meredith.Cash on Instagram. And you can read my work at Insider. What about you? Well, I'm Russ Steinberg at Russ underscore Steinberg, S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G on Twitter, at Rustagram on Instagram. And you could read me at Boardroom. Again, this is Brawl Don't Lie, et cetera, et cetera, rate and review. Uh, We will be back. I think what we should do uh, next week when we record, all of the major conference tournaments will be over. And so we will have a really good idea of what the tournament is likely to look like. Um, So we could kind of go through resumes, talk about, who the top few seeds are, talk about the bubble teams, who maybe played their way in, who played their way out, any bid thieves, things like that. Uh, so we'll give you all of that next time, and that will be, of course, before in the week before the selection show. Um, so, yeah, exciting time. Exciting time. Woo! Woo! All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>